This is Way Family Church, and you're listening to our sermon podcast. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030. We meet at Lawford Middle School in Tucson, Arizona. For more information about who we are, upcoming events, or if you'd like to connect, visit us online at www.wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready, and let's begin. We've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is somewhere, actually, it's right in the middle of the Bible. And it's a, it's a, wis, a book of wisdom. And, and I w- I'm going to say that if you want to get philosophical as a Christian, this is the place to go. It really challenges our, our thinking, our mind. It really challenges the way we process things. And sometimes we deal with things in life, hardship in life, and we can't help but to look up to heaven and ask, God, what is going on? Why, why are we struggling why do we have to endure so much suffering? And sometimes you'll even ask questions like, if you're so good, God, why does this feel so terrible? And why do you permit bad things to happen in this world? And the, I think that these are very valid questions. I think that these are questions that a lot of us come to experience and to really truly want an answer for. But I'll tell you one thing, the Lord has an answer for that. In fact, Solomon, who is the preacher, the teacher that we, that we read about here in the book of Ecclesiastes, really puts a lot of interesting things on the table, a lot of things for us to deeply consider, some of which I'll confess I never really quite thought through deeply in life. Perhaps I haven't got to those stages in life because life is made of stages, but he really provoked me to think in ways that I hadn't thought before. This is the wisdom of an older person being imparted to a younger And as long as you have breath today, as long as you're walking, I don't care how old you think you are, you're still younger than somebody, and you're definitely younger than the Lord. I just couldn't help it, my friend. (laughs) But the truth is, the wisdom here is good and edifying for all of us. And so here's the question. What is the purpose of life? Everything that we have here, it all is going to end. So therefore, the conclusion may be, well, then is there meaning to life or is life meaningful? And we're going to look into that today. And the bottom line is, as we've explored Ecclesiastes, I'm going to wrap up the book today. So we're going to do a a full-on close-up of the book. The question is, is this life meaningful? And what's interesting is that the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes says, Hevel, Hevel, hevel. You're looking at the fog or the smoke that you see in the screen. It's intentional. That's what life is like. It's like a vapor, an ungraspable thing. We're trying to reach for something. We're trying to reach for solutions to life issues, but we can't. It's ungraspable. Or is it? Or is there meaning? Because after all, the preacher says, everything is meaningless. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to open up with um, a, a quick, just philosophical summary of what this book is trying to tell us by Dr. William Lane Craig. He's an incredible philosopher. I would encourage you to look him up in your spare time. But let's take a moment and just listen to what he has to say, and then we'll close the book of Ecclesiastes today. Amen? Amen. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? In the name of progress, modern man has tried to answer those questions without reference to God. But the answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. You are the accidental byproduct of nature. There is no reason for your existence. 
All you face is death. Modern man thought that in killing God, he had freed himself from everything that repressed and stifled him. Instead, he discovered that in killing God, he had unwittingly killed himself. For if God does not exist, man's life is ultimately absurd. If God does not exist, then man and the universe are inevitably doomed to death. Like all biological organisms, man must die. His life is but a spark in the infinite darkness, a spark that appears, flickers, and then dies forever. Scientists tell us that the universe is expanding, and as it does so, it grows colder and colder. Eventually, there will be no heat at all. There will be no light. There will be no life. This is not science fiction. If God does not exist, then we are inevitably doomed to extinction. Now, what does all this imply? It means that life itself is absurd. It means that the life we do have is ultimately without meaning, value, or purpose. If each individual person passes out of existence when he dies, what ultimate significance can be assigned to his life? His life might be important relative to certain other events. But if all of the events are ultimately meaningless, what can be the ultimate significance of influencing any of them? Mankind is thus no more ultimately significant than a swarm of mosquitoes, for their end is all the same. This is the horror of modern man. Because he ends in nothing, he ultimately is nothing. But it gets even more distressing, for if life ends at the grave, it makes no ultimate difference whether you live as Joseph Stalin or as a Mother Teresa. If your destiny is ultimately unrelated to your behavior, then you may as well just live as you please. Moral values are either just expressions of personal taste or else the byproducts of biological evolution and social conditioning. Who's to say whose values are right and whose are wrong? Now think of what that means. It means that it is impossible to condemn war, oppression, or crime as evil. To kill someone or to love someone is morally equivalent. Our predicament is that it is impossible to live consistently and happily with such a worldview. The atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell held that moral values are simply expressions of personal taste. And yet Russell admitted that he could not live that way. He therefore found his own worldview, and I quote, incredible. I do not know the solution, he confessed. If death stands with open arms at the end of life's trail, then what is the goal of life? Is there no reason for life? If its destiny is a cold death in the recesses of outer space, then the answer is yes, it is pointless. 
We need to wake up and understand the gravity of the alternatives before us. If God exists, then there is hope for man. But if God does not exist, then all we are left with is despair. Faced with an atheistic worldview, the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre realized that life is absurd. In his play, No Exit, he tragically portrayed the life of man as hell. The final words of the play might serve as an atheistic mantra. Well, let's get on with it. Amen. So that was meant to get you to think, as the preacher Solomon has been trying to do so in this great book of Ecclesiastes. The question is, life under the sun, if all there is is life under the sun, meaning a life apart from God, without God, a natural life, an atheistic life, then everything is meaningless. That's what he's saying. And I think that William Lane Craig does an incredible job there at articulating the absurdity of that and how hopeless that is. But then he says, and I quote, as he says, if God exists, then there is hope for man. Amen. Amen. If God exists, then there is hope for man. But if God does not exist, then we're all left with despair. And, and that's something that we truly should think about deeply because we live in a world that's really pushing and trying to influence us to rid of God. And we've already began to see the outcome of that. We began to see the, 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 the consequence of removing God from life. I just listened to a, a, a podcast yesterday talking about how someone was saying, we need more Catholic schools, but without the, the, the religion nonsense is what he said, because we're losing control of schools. But that makes no sense. It's like, wait, your atheistic worldview is the result of all of this. You need God. We need God because he is the hope of all mankind. And so today, I want to just show you something that I think all of us would benefit from knowing. And, and it, it is simply this, that there is abundant life in this otherwise meaningless world. There is, abund there is meaning in what we otherwise would consider to be a meaningless world with God. And that's the whole point, is that we need to look beyond this life, beyond the sun, to see, our, to see our creator and to be able to experience him, because there's nothing more beautiful than to know God, to love him, to experience him, and to be able to experience the joy that comes from knowing him. Now again, this book of Ecclesiastes is essentially, essentially a philosophical dive that Solomon, the great king of Israel, takes us through, and except Solomon has no question as to whether or not if there is a God or if there isn't. He is certain that God exists. He is certain that God is who he is because he personally encountered God. He had conversations with God. God blessed him. God answered his prayer, his prayer for wisdom, to be able to rule well. There is no question, no doubt, as I would confidently tell you as well, there is no doubt in my mind that God exists. We do not say if he exists, we say because he exists, there is hope in this world. And my hope for you is that you understand that, that those doubts, that those questions of God's existence would be eliminated, that you may be able to look further above the sun, beyond the sun, and begin to experience that joy, that happiness that can only be found through our creator, through our savior, Jesus Christ. 
Otherwise, as we have seen in weeks past, past, chasing happiness, therefore, is meaningless without Jesus. Time is meaningless without Jesus. Politics and justice are meaningless without him also. Religion becomes meaningless without Jesus. And so many of us follow and chase these things. Money is absolutely nothing without Jesus. It cannot save us. It cannot help us. The bottom line, nothing in this world can bring meaning to life apart from the creator of life himself. Therefore, chasing anything, including wisdom itself, apart from God is meaningless because of the great and unavoidable equalizer. And that's what we're going to talk about today, death. That's the thing that brings us all to even ground. Because regardless of how you live your life, I know that this side is probably living a lot holier than this side, let's say. All right? And I know that you guys have been way more faithful than these people over here. And let's not even talk about the center section. Okay? We all have different walks in life. We all pursue different things. We all value different things. But the great equalizer is death. We will all face it. None of us will get away from it. And guess what? It is destined for you. And that renders all of your actions meaningless unless you have something that is entirely purposeful life. And so as we wrap up this study in the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll look at Solomon's final thoughts, his final points. And so here's the bottom line. It doesn't matter how wise you are, how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much comfort you experience in life or discomfort. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how devoted or religious you are or how cleanly you live life. It doesn't matter because death is the great equalizer. And we can think of it as death. We can think of it as a human assassin. I don't know if you guys seen that that movie, Puss in Boots, the second one, I believe it was. There's this wolf that portrays death, right? He's kind of constantly chasing him, looking for him, looking for that moment to take him. It's like that. Death is constantly looking for us to wipe us out. Death death essentially robs us of, of our life's value. Because if there's no life, where's the value, right? So what do we do about this? Well, Ecclesiastes, I'm going to fly over some passages here. Chapter 9, 1 through 6, provide great outlook on life and death. So let's go to chapter 9 and read from verse 1 through 6. It says this, But all this I'd laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise, their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil. All that is done under the sun, that is the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. (laughs) And they have no more reward for the memory of them is gone. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more 
share in all that is under the sun. Lord, we come before you. We ask you that you would speak to us as we dive into your word and conclude this book. Speak to us. Help us understand these deep, deep, um, just truths. We love you. We praise you. Submit to you, Lordship, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, this is the grand finale of all that was said about the meaningless of, ni- of life. In this cursed world, as we have clearly seen, the fall has really rendered everything cursed. All there is is just something that we would render meaningless because as William Lane Craig says, if everything ultimately perishes, then what's the point of everything? The truth is that death cancels out our actions. All the buildup, all the adventures, the lessons and wisdom, all becomes for nothing. Another movie reference, The Croods. Did you ever see The Croods? There's the dad, Grug. He likes to tell his children stories and he colors, it's just colorful stories, great, great characters, and great adventures, and great, great, great things going on, and then they die, the end, and then the kids always would go, oh man, again, like that seemed to have always been the end of Grug's stories, and that's the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how epic this life becomes, it's all rendered meaningless at the end, because there is an end, the great equalizer, so then what's the point here? And here's the first point that I think Solomon's making. Death can cause all of life's actions to be meaningless. Death has the ability to do that. All of life's actions can be meaningless. Look at again, verse 1 from chapter 9. It says this, But all this I laid to heart, examined it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love, hate, man does not know. Both are before him. In other words, you don't even know. You're going to try the best that you can to be a good person. You still don't have the ability to know whether or not God is is good with you, essentially, or what he thinks of you. Remember, this is apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God. So you can try to do whatever good you, you rendered it to be, but at the end of the day, you have no idea. This is saying that God, in his sovereignty, rules over our lives, which is which we are subject to him. We're under his rulership. We're under his timing. And our surroundings give us no clue as to what God really thinks of us. And so we can't use our circumstances to determine if God loves us or hates us, accepts us or rejects us, unless we have Christ. If we don't, then we have no way of knowing what God really thinks of us. Because his love and acceptance for you is absolutely not determined by what you've done or haven't done. His love for you, his compassion for you, his grace for you, his salvation is totally dependent on Christ. It has nothing to do with you in the first place. So you have really no way of knowing, is God, no, is God good with me? Is he not apart from Christ? And so I think that this totally conflicts with a lot of the silliness. I'm just going to call it out as it is, that many Christians are uh, unfortunately taught. And let me tell you this so that you're warned against this and you understand If you're taught that if you are faithful, then you will be prosperous. The Bible does not teach that. For many of us have to experience suffering, and that is good. It's actually not a bad thing. And not all of us will experience prosperity because we're faithful. It's really all on God's hands. There's nothing we can actually do to make that happen. If it happens, praise God. If it doesn't happen, praise God. And there's another thing. They, that you've probably been uh, or, or been taught or you've had maybe even heard. If you really love God, then you will be happy, you will be healthy and wealthy. That is also a lie. You know, in fact, some people teach that if you, if you uh, pray certain prayers, then your territory will be expanded. And quite honestly, I'm not even sure what that means. 
my territory. But, but I love what Matt Chandler says in response to this. And this is to really help us think. John the Baptist was a godly man, and he didn't get his territory expanded. What did he get instead? He had his head cut off. And so these are lies. But here's, here's the truth, that God in his grace and his mercy and compassion, he could give us what he wants to give us, or he can withhold from us what he wants to withhold from us. The most important thing is that we know him. Again, it's not about what we know, what we have, what we do. It's about a relationship with him. Know God, know him, know Christ. That's the most important thing. Because godliness, or God, yes, godliness is not a guarantee of prosperity as we would consider it in this world. And so we're so flooded and infiltrated by, this is what prosperity looks like. This is what prosperity looks like. Look at this wonderful commercial. No, do you know what true prosperity looks like? It's that rock-solid relationship with Christ. Knowing that life is not, this isn't all there is. Life is much more than this life. We're in eternity with God. Wow. That's something we should be looking forward to. And so <clears throat> it doesn't matter, again, if you're righteous or wicked, as, as we read here, good or evil, clean or unclean, one who sacrifices or one who does not, if you're a good person or a sinner, or one who makes oaths or one who does not, death eventually comes to all of us. And instead of reckoning with death, most of us waste the little time that we have on this planet being distracted. You know, many of us don't really consider death for what it is. Many of us run around saying, YOLO, you only live once, let's just do it all, right? Not really thinking about what death is. And you've probably been told to live like, like it, live every day as if it is your last day. Have you heard that? Live today as if it is your last day. Now, if you're like me, you probably shouldn't take that to heart. <laughs> because... My last day, I wouldn't go to work. I would spend all my money. I would go and try to do whatever I want. I would spend it with those who I love the most, and I would disregard everybody else. And I would eat all of the wonderful, fattening food that's just so delicious because it is my last day. So I'm not going to tell you to live every day as if it is your last day. All right? But what I am going to tell you is that you should live as if you have a set number of days. Live as if you know that you are not going to live forever. You're not going to get an endless supply of days in this world. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Today is a gift. This will help you be wise to not waste your days with the distractions that we get hit by left and right in this world. It would help you not be so careless with your family. It would help you not be so careless with friends with your work, among other things. There's so many things. When you really consider that your time here is limited, you'll be a little bit more careful, a little bit more wise about how you navigate life because, folks, death is certain, and we have to consider that. So then, how should we face this reality? Because this is kind of depressing if you hear this, right? And if I said, God bless you guys, that's the end of the sermon, this would be like, what was that, you know? But Solomon goes on to instruct us on how to live life in the, faith, in the face of death's reality, because it is a certain thing and it is unavoidable. So while death is the great equalizer and can cause all of life's actions to be rendered meaningless, check this out, death can also cause all of life's actions to be meaningful. Oh, let's talk about that. That's good news. Let's read chapter 9, verse 7 through 10. It says this, Light is sweet 
and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man. Young men. Who's the young man here? Rejoice, young men. In your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the days of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Again, man, I thought it was going to get good there and then it got really dark again. You know, it's like, what's going on here? But here, here, here's the thing. These two ideas about death causing or rendering life's actions to be meaningless and then also being able to render them meaningful, these two may sound conflicting. They're kind of conflicting if you think about it, or they're contradictions. But here's what I'm trying to say, and I think this is important for us to understand. The reality of death can cause our outlook in life to conclude that life is ultimately meaningless or that life is incredible, mean, incredibly meaningful. Solomon has been trying to get us to deeply contemplate death and to take it to heart so that we are actually able to enjoy the life that God has gifted us with here. So in chapter 7, now look at this, verse 2, he says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. So he's saying it's better to go to places where you can actually think deeply about the reality of death than to go and just party all day long and not think about anything. Because when we actually think deeply uh, about death, we really consider how we walk each and every day. Uh, So in other words, you go to the funeral other than a party so that you can contemplate the frailty and the fact that you will too one day die so that you would live wisely. And when you live wisely, you're actually able to enjoy life. And so God is not against us enjoying life. In fact, he's all for it. Facing death has a way of making us really enjoy life. Now, I don't know about you, but after I go through a funeral, I, I don't know what it is, but I just love my wife all the more, and I, and I love my children all the more, and when I hear bad news of tragedy on the news, I just really hold on to, I just, it, my, it's like, I love them so much that has a way of really making you think deeper as to if every, everything was just all right. If life was just an endless supplies of days, man, we would be so careless, we really wouldn't even love each other the way that we could possibly love, you know? And so the point is that in the face of death's harsh reality, we should enjoy life and the blessing from it, especially because we get older. And as we get older, we can do less. As we get older, it's harder to enjoy life in so many ways, right? And that's, that's the, what he's saying here. And so look at this. Solomon then goes on to list six things that we should do to enjoy this life. How about some practical stuff from Solomon? How can we enjoy this life? You might be surprised. He lists six things that we should do to enjoy this life. Look at this. In verse verse 7, look at verse 7 of chapter... Where am I? Nine. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. (laughs) He says, verse 7, eat your bread with joy. What does that mean? Enjoy your meals. Recognize the blessing of food and fellowship. It's awesome to get together and break bread, isn't it? I love it when Adam Fisher cooks for us. Man, that's enjoyable. That's something that we can enjoy in life, right? Good food, 
Verse 7 again, it says, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. This does not mean that we should go get drunk, because God has not approved that, all right? Instead, this simply means to enjoy life as you would a tasty beverage, like a hot latte on a cool fall morning or evening or in the winter night, right? Isn't that so enjoyable? Wasn't that so enjoyable? We can enjoy life that way. Enjoy the blessings that we have. Verse 8, he says, wear white all the time. None of you guys are wearing white. Hey, you got it right there. But you know what? Let's look at this in context. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense, right? Let's break it down a little bit. This means to wear festive clothing because in their day, in their region, the time of celebration, the, time, the attire that was appropriate for them to just be in, in enjoyment was to wear white. And so we have to understand the context of this. So this means just wear festive clothing. You know, like yesterday we went to the Nutcracker, so I made sure that I wore green and red because, it's fe- because I want to enjoy that evening, right? That's what he said, enjoy life. Dress for the occasion. Enjoy it. It makes it fun. Wear a Grinch costume for Christmas if you want or an ugly Christmas sweater. This is enjoyable. The Lord approves of this for us to just be able to enjoy the gift that we have here. Now, again, in Solomon's day, these were, these were uh, uh, garments for celebrations. And so the idea here is to wear something fitting to celebrate the occasion. Got it? Verse 8, he says, put on oil on your head. Again, let's understand this within the context. This was for them to do as it is for us to uh, gel our hair or do our hair. Okay, to get ready again, once again, it, it is or like to put sunblock on for, you know, an outdoor party or something like that. It, it is to spray on a little bit of cologne or to put on deodorant for Pete's, Pete's sake. You know what I mean? Just get ready, get yourself freshed up and, and smell good to go out there. That's what he's saying here when, he, when he's talking about putting oil on your head. Verse nine, he says, enjoy your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Be her friend. Go out on dates. Enjoy it. It's great. Enjoy her because she's beautiful. Enjoy her because she's perfect. Enjoy her because the Lord has blessed you with her. And if you don't realize it, let's talk. All right? And then also, this isn't just a recommendation. This isn't just a suggestion. This is actually a command that we read throughout the Bible. Okay? Wives, simply put, ditto. Enjoy your husbands, right? This, this make this relationship more than just, hey, that's my roomie. Let's enjoy one another. Verse 10, enjoy your work and activities is what he's saying. So if you're unemployed, find a job (laughs) and enjoy it. Work wholeheartedly. Find a hobby. Find something to do with your loved ones, with your family. Go find something that just brings you life and meaning. Like, for example, when my wife and I have our anniversary trips or whatever, we love to go hiking. There's just something about going out in nature together. We love it. Find something that you enjoy doing. See, God is all for us experiencing joy in this life, but the greatest joy that we could ever have, guys, please take this to heart, is the joy of our salvation through Jesus Christ. Because when we understand and when you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we realize that it's everything that he has done for us. So if we fall short, if we mess up, if we're rude to our spouse, if we're uncaring or loving to those who are loved, our loved ones, God's grace covers that through the cross. And so that's how we're able to enjoy it. It was like, I have life because he died for me. You consider that. And, and not just that, he rose from the grave. 
And there's life abundant that comes thereafter. And so as we age, as it gets harder to do life, we actually have something amazing to look forward to. We're not looking forward to death. We're looking forward to life eternal in the presence of our creator. That's amazing. That's something that we need to enjoy. See, there's meaning when Christ is in our hearts, when he's in our lives, when we live for him. And then here's a new splash for us all. I already mentioned, but I want to make sure that we all understand these. Every one of us is aging. I am now older than I was when you first walked in here, and so are you. That's life's reality. And see, aging can be a very difficult thing, but we can still enjoy life in the face of aging and death if and when we turn to Christ. Oh, it's a beautiful life. In chapters 11 through 12, Solomon describes the process of aging in ways that we can understand, but couldn't necessarily put it to words sometimes. In fact, let's look at chapter 11, verse 7 through 10. And I want you to read carefully because you're probably going to wonder, what is he saying? What is Solomon saying? But consider aging in mind. And he says this, <clears throat> chapter 11, 7 through 10. Oh, I, already, I read that already. Excuse me. Chapter 12. All right. He says this, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and, desi and, and, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. And so because we are aging, we should enjoy life. In fact, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. You know, initially when I first knew of this verse, I thought of it of Young people, remember who God is so that you're not ridiculous when you're out there. But it's a lot more than that. It's actually remember your creator now and do what you can. Live for him now. Enjoy life for him now because then there will be a day where you will want to do it. Your understanding of him will grow more and more and more and you'll be limited physically. You won't be able to serve him. You won't be able to rejoice and dance. You won't be able to serve others the same way as you do when you're young. And so he's saying, think about that, remember it. And then the next thing he's saying is, turn to God now before aging robs you. And so we have to think again a little bit deeper. And so again, let's break this down because you probably didn't catch this, but essentially what he's saying here, if we go back to this passage, after remember your creator in verse three, he says, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, do you know what he's talking about? When our legs become weak, you know, this is what happens to life, to people. Our bones start hurting and the strong men are bent. And it says, and the grinders cease because they are few. That's talking about teeth. 
We will lose them. Our grinders become few. It's just part of aging. They cease because they're few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. Those are our eyes. He's talking about our vision. Man, I'm way ahead of the game. You know? And the doors on the streets are shut, meaning it's harder to get out. It's harder to go do work. In fact, and the doors in the street shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, you just the, the things, the activities, and the stuff that we were able to go and do before now becomes less and less and less. And it says, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, wake up earlier as we get older. You know, it's like, oh, there's the sun, there's the birds, let's go. But here's what's interesting, it's ironic. And the daughters of song are brought low. This is talking about her hearing. It's like now I just, what? <laughs> you know, I can't really hear and enjoy the sounds that I used to. It says in verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. Falling is not a good thing when you're aged. This is what Solomon's saying. He's talking from experience here. You know, when you get older, you do not want to fall. I remember when I was a kid, I still see like Finley and the boys here, they run and they slide across the floor and I'm thinking, ouch. You know what I mean? Like, I can't do that anymore. Elton, can you still do that? We can't, we can't just fall. We have to be careful with each and every step. And then it says this, and terrors are in the way. As you get older, there are actually more threats. People take advantage of older people. You know, this is just the reality of aging. It says, and the almond tree blossoms. My almond tree never blossomed. I just lost it all. <laughs> Talking about grain. That's what it's talking about. That's what happens. And the grasshopper drags itself along. You know how we used to call each other, you little young grasshopper? We're talking about just our ability to be agile, move and respond and react. That goes away and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. That's the reality of life under the sun. That's what happens. It's an aging process. But here's the good news is that doesn't mean your life is over, guys, all right? We still have a lot to look forward to. That doesn't mean that we're useless as older people, right? That means that we have the ability to actually train up those who are young to really enjoy the moments that we have with one another. It means that we are actually able to really consider life a little bit deeper and to think, wow, look at all that God has done for me. And you go and you reflect on the riches and the goodness of God. And as, so, so here's the thing, I'm not that old but I've had an injury or two. And when it gets cold, I really feel it. You know, it's like, what is going on? I can't imagine what it's going to feel like in 20 years from now. And so I imagine thinking, I just want to get out of this now. You know, I want to be able to run. I want to be able to run to just do what I used to do back in my prime. But the good news is, this isn't even the prime. We're still, we're, still, we're still looking ahead of that when Jesus returns. He's going to give us new bodies. He's going to give us a new life. Life abundant in his presence, in his glory. Doesn't that sound so great? I love that. That's the good news. And so therefore, everything that we live, everything that we do here is full of meaning because the Lord has blessed us with this. Now, this is, again, the description of the reality of the consequence of the fall. But see, Jesus restores us to God's perfect design. Now, we cannot live forever by our own means in this body. 
But when we're him, when we're with him, there's <laughs> there's life abundance. It's going to be amazing. Here's again the raw bad news. We're dying and we need help because we can't help ourselves. We need a savior. And Jesus, amen, in his love and kindness and grace for us comes. And he saves us from that. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Amen. He has overcome that. He has taken on the the punishment, the iniquity that was due to us all that we would have life and life abundant because truly we do deserve this process of aging. We do deserve death. That's a consequence of the fall. And by his grace, we are redeemed from that. And I hope that you understand that. And I hope that you consider every gift that is in this life because truly without Jesus, everything is meaningless. But with Jesus, there's life and there's life abundant. We need to live in abundance like that. So let me give you just a couple of takeaways and we'll wrap up the book of Ecclesiastes. The final, the final message here, he says, in, in chapter 12, verse 3, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And praise be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the cost of that judgment. The punishment has been paid. The wages of sin have been paid through Jesus Christ for us. That's just amazing. Takeaway number one, Jesus is the only way or the only one who delivers us from death and gives us abundant and eternal life. Let's rejoice for that. Takeaway number two, trust in Jesus as your Savior and experience the abundance of life and meaning in this otherwise meaningless world. Let's live for him. Let's enjoy him. Let's enjoy the gifts that God has given us. And we can do that through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to understand how beautiful the cross is. Because of the cross, we can find meaning in this world. Because of the cross, we can enjoy the moments like this, today, this morning, like Thanksgiving dinner, like Christmas morning, like birthdays. Because of the cross, there's meaning because we know that this isn't it. And so while we're here, we're gonna live for him, we're gonna enjoy the gifts of God, but knowing that our devotion, our Lord, our, we are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And with that, there's life eternal. And we look forward to that. Amen. Amen. And so tell someone about this. Tell someone about it. Because aging robs us. And so that's the commission. That's the call. Go make disciples. Share the good news because we all need this. Otherwise, we experience a future of meaninglessness, if we can even say a future. You see that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have taken death and arrested it. Thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the author and the perfecter of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you took it back up, Father, and that you offer us life in abundance and for eternity. Thank you, Lord, for giving us purpose, for giving us a calling. Thank you, Lord, for giving us meaning. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to go and share this news to others, Father. Give us the grace, Father, to be able to communicate this. Give us the wisdom, Lord Jesus, to be able to know how to handle this fragile and precious life that you have given us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for 
for all that you are and all that you have done and are continuing to do for us. For we are not worthy, we are undeserving. But you're so good, you're so kind, and we love you, and all we can do is serve you in response and love you back and love others. And so thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name we pray.